Uh, first service, I had some kids, little kids, little girls that were um, my biggest ameners. So I hope I have some kids here that are going to be amening me today because um, the adults were having a hard time. So uh, if, that, if that prepares you at all for the message today. Um, well, good morning. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life. And uh, the, mess, the title of my message today is Choosing Sides. Yeah, thank you. That's good. Choosing sides. Um, I don't know if you've noticed recently uh, that we are a bit polarized as a nation. You, anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Um, everyone seems to, to be kind of choosing sides, and not only just choosing sides, that, um, that, that the sides are becoming more and more passionately opposed to one another. Um, People want you to pick a side, and um, you, can't, you can't just say, I don't, I'm not on a side. You got to say, I'm, I'm one or the other. Either um, I'm Trump or Biden, or Collins or, or, or Gideon, Democrat, Republican. You, you, you got you to pick a side. My mailbox, wow, my mailbox is filled. Like every day I go, I think, oh, I'm going to get something from Amazon. That's every other day. Um, <laughs> And every day I go and I will get like multiple postcards like this size of very expensive paper, so somebody paid for it, um, telling me which side I should choose. Um, sometimes multiple versions of the same thing. I'm like, wow, you really meant it. And, um, and of course I read all of them cover to cover and commit them to memory and take them all very seriously. Um, th- here's the reality is that I've spoken to to multiple families over the past few weeks, and what what disheartens me the most is that um, many families are at odds with each other. Um, Children against parents, parents against children, sons against fathers, mothers against daughters, and um, all all based upon politics. Democrats and Republicans. Um, and it's not just in families. It actually, don't look now, but someone beside you could be a Democrat or a Republican. And we have enemies among us, right? I mean, this, there's this reality that someone behind you could be of the opposite political persuasion that you are. Um, and, and here's the thing, and this is what I want to say, is that, is that I believe that the Bible is a timeless book, which means it is always timely which means that, that when we look to it, that we believe that the Bible has words for us to take away today and speaks into our current situation. And um, so the question is, how are we supposed to respond in this day and age, in this moment of time, as the body of Christ? How do we walk in unity when we have people that we disagree with, some of them sitting right next to us? Some of them in our family members, some of them... Uh, we work with. How do we walk in unity even though we disagree? And uh, is that even possible? Because I, I don't see it working really well, to be honest. I don't see it working really well within the church, outside of the church, especially on social media. Um, I don't see that really necessarily working. And um, I don't know, maybe we just decide we have Democrat churches and Republican churches. We're kind of almost there. Um, maybe we decide that we, we, we do like the Senate and we could have like Republicans be on the right aisle and then, and then like Democrats on the left and that would be how we walk in unity. We'll just walk across the aisle 
as we shake hands with each other or something. Um, so the, is this even possible? I was reading, the Lord brought me to the list of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. And I want to re- remind you, if you turn, turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, I want to remind you as we read through these list of 12 disciples that these are the names of Jesus' core people. They are his mighty men. They are part of his core group, his small group. These are the ones that he shared life with. These are the ones that he shared the secrets of heaven with. These are not just members of the crowd. They're not just a bunch of Jesus groupies that just hung out with Jesus and like, yeah, Jesus, we like you until you say things that we don't like. These are the people that Jesus chose and invited to follow him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Pay attention to them. First, Simon, who's called Peter, remember Jesus changed his name, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. As I was reading through this this week, something struck me as odd. Because apart from the clarifications of who's related to who and who's father and son of who is who, um, there's really only two, maybe three of them that have qualifiers attached to them. The last one is Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And we're like, ah, oh, yeah, Judas Iscariot. No, don't trust him. He was a money guy. And, and, but there's, there, there's two other ones in here that have qualifiers attached to their names. First one, Matthew, a.k.a. the tax collector. Simon, a.k.a. the zealot. It's interesting to me that, um, that in Jesus' core small group of people, people that he invited to follow him, he chose two people that couldn't have been more opposed to each other politically. I, mean, I don't know what he was thinking. He clearly should have known that these two guys wouldn't have gotten along, and he should probably just pick a partisan line and decide, all right, we're just going to have this, these type of people in as my 12, because we only have 12. There's 12 spots, dude. Sorry, you didn't make the cut, right? So you got, let me just explain this to you. You got Matthew, the tax collector. That's how he's known. Imagine being known as that, right? Like Matthew, the tax collector, who was literally employed by the oppressive Roman government who was extracting exorbitant taxes from, from, the, from the Jews. And, and Matthew does that for a job, works for the Roman government. And then you have the guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, if you don't know what zealots are, zealots were like a sect of Judaism who were actively looking for a Messiah, but not just like, oh, one day we're going to find the Messiah. They were ready for a violent overthrow of Rome. Like they're waiting any day, like, just tell me who to kill. We're ready to go. I mean, Simon the Zealot was probably a little zealous, right? He was a zealot, right? I mean, he was very into, and, 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 and he wanted to make Jesus king. That was kind of the plan. We're ready for a violent overthrow of the Roman government. And then you got Matthew, who literally works for the man. Like, can you imagine these two guys hanging out together, eating together? Jesus, I don't know quite what he was thinking, but it was almost like he was saying, if you want to follow me, you got to walk with him. 
And you have to imagine Simon the Zealot, like you know he didn't shut up about anything. I mean, there's not much written about him, but you know, if you're called Simon the Zealot, like you got a lot of opinions, right? And if there was Facebook, he would have been all over, all over Facebook, right? You got to believe that he's looking into Jesus saying, why in the world would you pick Matthew? Why would you pick a tax collector that I have to walk with? And I believe that Jesus, just like he would say to us, would look at Simon and say, Simon, um, I just want you to know, I'm not asking you to walk with the tax collector. I'm asking you to walk with Matthew. Matthew, meet Simon. Simon, meet Matthew. Bartholomew, I know you don't talk much, but Bartholomew, meet, meet Philip. Philip, meet Thomas. I doubt it. I mean, they... All of these guys are this ragtag group of people. And as long as we put these qualifiers on each other's names and say, I don't know how you could hang out with this person and what this person would have in common with this person, Jesus is like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I chose you as an individual, as a person, and I love you. And I've called, I've called you to walk together, to live together, to eat together, to share life together, to be disciples together. Listen, if you think that your Thanksgiving is going to be a bit awkward this year, just imagine what it was like at breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Simon and Matthew talking politics. I'm sure it didn't go well. Because nothing divides like politics. Pastor Tom sent me a uh, quote this past week, and um, I don't know who it was from. It wasn't from me. He says this. Um, let me just read it. And you can do what you will with it. It says, if Christians were half as passionate about sharing the gospel as they are talking about politics during an election year, we would have a great awakening and revival sweep across our nation. That's right. That's right. Amen. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to drop the mic and walk off stage. <laughs> like, what if... This is why I had a bunch of little girls amening me. Um, what, what if the reason why we see such visceral responses to political positions is because politics is the new religion? And what worries me is that each one of you thought, yeah, that applies to the person on the other side of my aisle. But the tough thing is, and this is what I didn't like about this quote, is that I know that, that we defend our idols vehemently. And even though I would like to look at other people and say, well, you know, like, yeah, they need to get this figured out and what they believe and how they follow and the, and the, and the passionate vigor of Facebook posts and reposting and tweets and retweets um, it just looks like it's, they've made politics into an idol. Um, what I find is that God seems to be much more concerned with me than he is about those who oppose me. As much as I'm like, man, if you would just get those people figured out, if you would just change him or her, then everything would be so much better. And God always seems to be pointing at me. And he's looking at my pride and my idols and, and, and my heart. And the problem is, is that I don't consider myself very political. But it was like this sting that I couldn't get rid of when I was reading that quote. I'm like, why am I offended by this quote? Because everybody else is that it's not me 
but why is it, God, that you won't let me just shake this thing? So I started asking myself some questions that get to my heart because I, I don't know about you, but many times it's very easy to see hypocrisy or idol worship in other people's hearts or lives, but it's very difficult to see in our own lives because we see through a glass darkly. So I asked these, these questions. There's three of them. I wrote them down for your personal enjoyment. The first one is this, um, and, and you can consider these, you can dismiss them, you can take them in, you can be like, wow, that must have been, that's, that's stunk for you, Justin. Um, here's the first one. Have I spent more time listening to talk of politics on social media, talk radio, and television than I've spent in or considering the Word of God? Huh. Um, this was the second one that was really hard for me. When I discover that a fellow believer disagrees with my political preferences, do I make assumptions about their level of commitment to Jesus? It is so quiet in here. I'll move on to number three. It gets better. Um, Based on my thoughts and actions today, does it seem as if I'm more concerned about the next four years than I am with eternity? We just need to stand up and jump or something. I don't know. Um, so how then are we supposed to be responsible citizens of America, right? I mean, many of us, 99% of us in here are viable citizens of America that, that, that can vote. Um, how are we supposed to be citizens and yet also live with eternity focused in our minds and in our hearts? What does that look like? How are we supposed to be influencers of our society and yet not make politics our idol? So that we can make sure that we have our heart clean and we can answer that quote question of like, yeah, no, no, that's not me. <laughs> Amen. There, there, are, there are three things that, um, three myths that I think that we can fall into when we keep our eyes off of Jesus. And there's probably many more. There's just three because I'm a preacher and we like threes. And so um, the, the first one is this, the myth that we can fall into when we keep our eyes, take our eyes off of Jesus is that we, we start to believe that politics are of first importance. In other words, we, this is what you hear. Donald Trump is our only hope. Or you'll hear the other side. Our only hope is to get Donald Trump out of office, right? It goes, it goes back and forth. It doesn't even matter. Like you just, we, we, we start to get to this place where like um, the world order of politics is of first importance. And when we, when we choose to believe this myth, then we start to make our friends and our enemies and we choose sides based upon our political preferences. Like I don't know how I can handle hanging out with so-and-so for dinner because I know that they're different than me. And here's what I would say in the heart of, of hearing families being split and um, friendships being completely burnt. Never burn a bridge because of a political viewpoint. Because I believe that Jesus would say this to us, and I, th I think he'd say it to, to Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector when they're going at it. He would say, look, guys, the person beside you is more important than your political view. And the reality is, as Christians at Calvary, we lost the right to do anything less than that. So it's not the zealot and the tax collector. It, it's, it's Simon and Matthew. Get along. Love each other. You're people. You're human beings. Both saved by the blood of Christ. 
not by your own political views. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start to, it becomes easy to start thinking that the only change that will or can come will come through the kingdoms of this world. And we start to think that the kingdom of heaven only comes through uh, the kingdom of this world. But that is not how it's ever happened. It's never been a political overthrow that brings the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) This is the same myth that Jesus' first century followers were wanting to believe about him. They're like, look it, Simon the Zealot, he's ready at any moment. Just tell me who to kill. Let's go. Let's start this thing. Let's let's burn it down, right? We're going to burn down Rome. We're going to do this thing. We're going to start a revolution. You're going to become king. I'll be your chief of staff. We're going to do this thing, right? Like, this is how it's all going to go down. And even then, Jesus is like, no, guys, 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 that's not how we're doing this thing. That's not what's happening. We see with Pontius Pilate, um, they actually asked, he asked uh, Jesus this question. Are you the king of the Jews? Because I just talked to, to Simon the Zealot, is that his name? Um, he said that you're the king of the Jews and that um, that's how this thing is going to go down. So are you the king of the Jews? Look at Jesus' answer, John 18, verse 36. He said, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servant would, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders But now, my kingdom is from another place. It's it's this reality that that Jesus came to play a very different game um, with very different rules and a very different definition of a win than, than we play in our world. He actually came to establish a completely different kind of kingdom with that operates on a very different set of values. He came to birth a revolution that didn't become with bloodshed. It started with the changed hearts of people that he started to change from the inside out. And a part of our role is to bring heaven to earth, to continue to, to pray down the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world. We're not seeking a kingdom that is headquartered in Washington, D.C. We are seeking a kingdom that is headquartered in heaven, so that means that we don't, we don't serve a king that is elected for four years. We serve the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, the creator of the universe. Amen? Amen. And, and Paul reminds us of this, and we see this all throughout. We read this in 1 Peter, and now we see this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul reminds us, he's like, hey, guys, your citizenship is in heaven. He says, We're eager, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You have a hope that is beyond this world. He's like, don't forget, it doesn't negate the rights and responsibilities that have been afforded to you, and it doesn't negate your role as as a citizen here on earth, but do not put your hope in that thing. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and that's where your hope comes from. So if you find yourself, and uh, maybe, maybe you came in here today, and you're like, uh, looking for the next two weeks, and you've been this past few months thinking, this is hopeless, and I'm full of despair. I just want to encourage you um, that could it be that you're putting your hope in something other than God? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, which means that as much as I'd like to think he is, he's not a Republican or a Democrat or a Green Party or an Independent. I'm not saying there's not a wiser choice in casting our vote in the ballot box. I am saying please do not conflate earthly institutions with the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're very different. 
Very, 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 very different. So the first one is this, that the first myth, let's reiterate, is this, that, that politics are of first importance. The second myth is a little bit like it, is that politics are of no importance. I mean, they don't really matter. Just pray. Don't, don't vote. What's the point? He's going to get canceled out anyway. You know, just, uh, just write Jesus in to the ballot box. I mean, like, yeah, just, you know, just, just pray it in. Listen, your biblical worldview should change the way that you live, the way that you behave, the way that you act, the way that you parent, the way that you speak, and it should dictate the way that you vote. Like, I mean, the, the, everything that you do as a Christian should be dictated by Christ, the Word of God in your life. Yeah, nothing is, is exempt to that. And so what I would say is that it's appalling to me how, how many Christians don't vote. Millions of Christians didn't vote in the 2016 election. I would say, use your opportunity that has been afforded to you by people that have gone way before you and sacrificed their entire lives to make it available for you to have the right and the responsibility and the privilege that you have to speak into your government. Use it. Amen? But pray about it. Prayerfully consider, what is the wise thing for me to do? Christian, run for office. Run for office if you feel led to. We need more Christians as, as lawyers, and we need more Christians as influencers and legislators and judges and leaders. I implore you to pray. Ask for wisdom how you should exercise the rights that you have that have been afforded to you as a citizen here on earth in this earthly kingdom that we have. And if you're kind of in this place where you're like, I don't really know, we, we, uh, if you go to nlc.today, we've got like a banner on the top of our, our homepage, and it's got links to voters' guides, as unbiased as voters' guides go, right? But, um, but they have opportunity for you to be able to look at these questions and, and see yes or no and, and compare candidates and all that kind of stuff to make the best decision that you can with your privilege to vote. I encourage you, please, exercise your right. Also, pray for your leaders. But what if I don't like them? I do. It doesn't really matter. Like, please pray for me, even if you don't like me. Like, I would love that, you know? Like, I'm like, well, I, I don't really pray for you. I don't really like you. I, please, just please, if you just pray God's will over me, that would be awesome, right? What, what if we walked in obedience, not just to First Peter where he says, honor the emperor. Well, what, if he, what if I don't like the emperor? It just says, honor the emperor. Or, or we look at, at in, uh, Paul encouraging those to pray for those in authority. First Timothy chapter 2 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Then he says in verse 2, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for your president, for your governor, for the Senate? For the, are, are you praying, whether you like them or not, whether, they're, whether you voted for them or not? Because the Bible tells you to. In fact, I want to take a moment. Let's just take a moment and pray. As a church, let's pray for health, prosperity, pray for God's will over our leaders. Let's just name them. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray for Donald Trump. We pray for Mike Pence. We pray for Susan Collins. We pray for Janet Mills right now. Lord, I pray that for health over their families. I pray for your will over their life. I pray, God, that you would set advisors and trusted friends in their path that would be a testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that most of all, that each and every single one of our leaders would encounter you. Why? Because you're our hope. We pray that they would encounter the loving knowledge of you. We pray that they would be saved. They would come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray that over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 That wasn't that hard. I mean, I did the heavy lifting for you. You know what I mean? It's it's this reality that, like, we're called to do that. And isn't God's will going to be the best for us? So pray God's will. If you're like, well, I just don't, I I don't like that person. I didn't ask you that. God didn't ask you that. The third one is this. So it's not just that the myth of politics is our first importance or that politics is of no importance. The third myth, and this is one you might not like, and it's um, that my party is God's party. Um, I tend to think that my thoughts and ideas are right. And and you may disagree with me, um, but I'm pretty convinced that you're wrong. Um, But if you agree with me, then then we're on the same path, man. You you, you got it. You you understand me. I understand you. We understand God. and I'm sure that you think that your rights or your, your, your thoughts and your views are right as well. Um, they wouldn't be your thoughts if you didn't think they were right. Hopefully that would be weird. Um, but if we're not careful, then the echo chamber of social media and the media stream that we choose to drink from will try to convince us that, that, uh, that my party is God's party. Thank you. Now, it, it, it's true. Uh, if we're not careful, then we end up picking a side and, and conflating our side with God's side. Because God should think a whole lot like me. He should, because I'm right, or at least a lot of the time. I was reading in Joshua chapter 5. Um, Joshua is, is leading uh, the army of the Israelites, and they're about ready to go and to take Jericho, which you know the story of Jericho where they march around and blow the trumpets and the walls fall down, right? This is before all this happens in Joshua chapter 5. There's a very interesting um, encounter that Joshua has with what many believe to be the pre-incarnate Jesus. It's a big word for Jesus before he came to earth. And uh, he shows up, he's known as the, the, the leader, the captain, the commander of the angel armies. And we see this in, in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, when Joshua was, was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him, in front of him with a, a drawn sword in his hand. This is what they believed is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Joshua went up to him and asked this very important question. Are you for us or for our enemies? In other words, he goes up and asks Jesus, Whose side are you on? Are you on, you on my side or their side? Are you, are you for the Israelites or are you for the Canaanites? Like, are, are, you, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Which, which side are you on? And I love the answer, verse 14. Neither. Excuse If I were Joshua, I'd be like, um, that wasn't an option. Wasn't an, I, I don't know if you realize this guy with a hand, with a, with a sword drawn, pre-incarnate Jesus, but like we're going to war. I don't know if you saw these people. Like we're going to war to take this town. 
and uh, believe that God told us to do this. And so th- there's, there's going to be two sides to this war. And it's happening in two weeks. We're going to be doing this thing. And so I'd like you to know which side are you going to be on. With us, or are you going to be with them? And he continues with his answer. He says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, he's like, um, I'm here now. I'm in charge. And um, Joshua, I don't really bow to any earthly army. I'm here to remind you that you need to be more concerned with coming into alignment with me. Um, okay. Joshua got it. There was something in how he said it that Joshua understood exactly what was happening. Because we read how he responded. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He had this realization God, I'm I'm wanting you to pick a side. And God says, I'm not on either side. You need to come into alignment with me. I I, I think you don't understand the rules of the game here. You you think that I'm going to weigh into earthly matters. I'm telling you, as you're weighing into earthly matters, you better make sure that you're considering that you're coming into alignment with me. Oh, okay. Because see, if we're not careful, then we can make our politics into a new religion on both sides of the aisle. And in all of our choosing of sides, make sure that you are bowing before God first. Make sure you're bowing before him. This is the word of the Lord from, for Joshua. I believe it's for us. James chapter 1, verse 5. In the New, new Living Translation, he says, if you need wisdom, and I think you do, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. In other words, either this is true or it's not. If you're in a place of like, I don't know what I should do. I don't know how to exercise this. He says, ask for wisdom. I want you to. I'll give it to you. And, 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 I, and I'm not going to be mad for you asking about it. I want to leave you with one last thing. Um, and, and it's really what I believe is one of the things that is, that is most important. Did you know that you can actually be an answer to Jesus' prayers? John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his father, and he specifically asks one thing of us. He's praying to his father. He's like, this is is what's on my heart. There's one thing that is concerning Jesus, one thing about his followers as he's going to the cross that's on his heart and on his mind. We see it in John chapter 17, verse 16. He says, well, they they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Then he says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. That's, That's people all throughout the ages that have come to believe in Jesus through their message. And this is his heart. He says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that that the world may believe that you have sent me.
It's almost like Jesus believed that our oneness, our unity within diversity is the way that you and I can answer Jesus's prayer. Why does he care about that? Why, why is the one thing on his mind is that we would be, be one and have unity in the church? It's so that, he says it, he says it's so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus seems to think that it is our unity that brings a testimony. That's his prayer. One of the, one of the names of the Lord is Jehovah Nisi. Some of you have these names all memorized. Uh, Jehovah Nisi literally means the Lord is my banner. The the flag that I will march behind. Wouldn't it be outlandish if a ragtag group of Jesus followers from every stripe and color and tribe and party would come under one banner? One banner. Like the Lord is my banner. Because ultimately, we're not the people of the donkey and we're not the people of the elephant. We're the people of the lamb. I mean, that's the banner that we walk under, that the flag that we march behind. Please don't forget, brothers and sisters, that it's not the Democrats and Republicans that um, it was Christianity that shaped Western civilization. It is the teachings of Jesus that, and it's not our political parties, that laid the groundwork of our modern ideas of justice and equality. Those are the things that, that are in the Word of God that, that are so outlandish and crazy that we, that we take for granted that we live within. And I just want to remind you that He is Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner, the flag that we march behind. Would you stand with me? One of the reasons that I love baptism is because, and I think it's so perfect that, and so apt that we have baptisms here today. I love it because it reminds every single one of us that we come into the kingdom the same way. Jesus said, you must be born again, uh, which means that, that it doesn't matter uh, what type of family you grew up in, what type of things you've done in your past. It doesn't matter, matter your, your values or your ethics or your political views. None of that saves you. Did you know that? Like, you can't be good enough to, to get saved. You need Jesus. Republicans and Democrats desperately need Jesus. <laughs> Conservatives and liberals desperately need Jesus. Amen? Amen? (laughs) For at least half of it, right? But here's the thing. Once you become a citizen of heaven, once, once once you become a child of God, God then begins to change us from the inside out. He starts to speak to you about things. He starts to change your appetite for sin. He changes your appetite for the word of God. He changes how you view the world. He changes how you, how you start to prioritize things in your life. These are the things that as we walk with God, as we listen to God, as we pray to God, as we look into his word, he starts to reorient and change the way that we, the way that we think. And I feel like one of my jobs as a pastor, because you know what, I don't, I'm not up here to tell you who to vote for. I'm, I'm actually telling you to vote for King Jesus. Uh, one of my jobs is to undermine your hope in the political parties. And you're like, well, I wish that you would stand up for my mind. That would be good. That's kind of what I was hoping you'd do. 
We have one hope. One. And, it, and it's not Trump and it's not Biden and it's not Gideon and it's not Collins. It's Jesus Christ. He's our one hope. My prayer is, is that as we worship here today, that, that you would come to this place of putting your hope in its right place. Putting your hope in its right place. John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Catch this. I have overcome the world. Can I tell you, church, take heart. Whether Biden or Trump get elected, Jesus still wins. Did you know that? He's been winning before. He's winning now. And, 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 and spoiler alert, he wins it all. He, actually, hands down, like he just, he just wins it. See, the ultimate salvation that we're looking for isn't dependent about who sits in the Oval Office. The, the ultimate salvation that you're looking for, hung on a cross, died, a sinner's death, rose from the dead so that you could have new life. So when we talk about the economy, right, like our main message is that both the rich and the poor need Jesus. When we talk about the race issues, our main message is that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every skin color need Jesus. And he came to, to level the playing field and say, all come, all come. So we can talk about COVID and maybe whether or not we get a vaccine here in the next week or two or three or four or five, whatever. The reality is, is that we are going to die one day and we all need Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the only hope that we have. We proclaim that today. And as we lift your name up high above every other name, we realize that you alone are our hope. You alone are our hope. I want to read this scripture to you. It's a scripture that I want to just speak prophetically over us. And it's kind of weird. The Lord drew me to this uh, yesterday. And it's, it's a scripture that we normally reserve for Christmas. Uh, so it's a little odd that the Lord was like, I want you to read this. I'm like, okay. Um, it's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And I want you to just, just take this in. He says this, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And catch this, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Lord Jesus, we choose to lift your name high. We lift it above our own names. We, we choose to, to walk in unity, even in the midst of our diversity. And God, I pray that, that those of us who have the ability to be able to speak into the political process of our nation, that we would take that with a, a heavy burden and put it before you, that we would be prayerful, getting into the word of God, asking you, Lord, what, what it is that you would have us choose. And Jesus, I pray that the church would rise up and to take the opportunity that has been placed before us and not abdicate that responsibility. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that we live in a, a country, a free country, where we have the ability to be able to do that. And so, Jesus, we don't take that lightly. We realize that it isn't of first importance, but it isn't of no importance. And so, Jesus, help us to be able to walk this out, keeping our rights and privileges in front of us, but not making them into an idol in front of us as well. We bow to one God. We bow to you and to you alone. And Jesus, we pray that you would be lifted high. I pray in this place, as we worship here today, I pray that hope would fill this place. I pray that where despair is, that as praise rises, joy fills the hearts of people. I pray where, where we look in and say, man, I just, I am not excited about anything coming up over the next two weeks, Lord. I pray that excitement of joy would rise up. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus, we lift our eyes and focus on you to whence our help comes from. We thank you, Jesus. We lift you up. We give you praise and all the glory. Let's worship together, church. The King of kings, the King of kings, most high. Amen.